Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning. It's good to be with each of you. My name is Rick, and, and I'm just glad that you had me here. You can see that I'm a little bit schizophrenic today. Got black armbands and a red shirt. So that's, you know, that's the reality of this. For those of you who are Purdue fans, sorry. For those of you who are Indiana fans, realize it happens again in three weeks. So that's, that's your challenge as we're going forward. Uh, and, you know, when you think about conflict in our community uh, because of basketball, then you start looking around the world and you go, well, we got nothing going on around here compared to the rest of the world, right? The conflict that we see happening constantly and the challenges. But there's sunshine today and it truly is rising sun in the midst of this time. You know, when I think about the world and, and maybe you have been too, whether it was a, a balloon going across our country or it's the things that we see in the Middle East right now, the unrest and violence spills into our living rooms every day, doesn't it, through the television and People are trying to make sense of what's happening. I don't have answers for those problems, but I do want to take us to Egypt and the Middle East today, and I'll be here a couple of times this month as we begin and think about a series called Impressions. Impressions, because when we think about the Middle East, we think about the things that, that happened that were important to be foundational to our, to our faith and we look towards Egypt and some of the challenges that they face, we recognize that it's in Egypt that God calls his people, the Israelites, to follow him. And so I want to be in the book of Deuteronomy today. That's the fifth book in the Old Testament. So you go all the way to the beginning, count back five, and there you are. That word Deuteronomy means second law. And it's there that we hear these things that Moses is saying to the people to remind them again of their foundation. We're going to be in chapter 6 today. The Israelites have been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt. And, you know, I don't want us to be wandering around the Bible, so that's why I said the fifth book in the Old Testament, and we'll stay there for a while. And when we come to this point, we see that the people are at a crossroads. They're trying to figure out what's next, what's happening. There's a leader that's been appointed by God to govern a group of people who've been oppressed for hundreds of years. Their identity is threatened, their will is crushed, and their faith has been assaulted. Through his leadership, they rediscovered that they were a people. They developed a collective will as a people, and they've had their faith rebuilt over 40 years. It took many years of his leadership for that to happen. The people, as they left Egypt, were still really skeptical of what God might be doing in their midst, and Moses stays the course for 40 years. You know, for most of us, it's a challenge for us to stay the course for 40 minutes. If God hasn't showed up in 40 minutes, we're like, whoa, whoa, God, where are you? I mean, I've been praying for the last 10 minutes about this issue. You ought to make this happen today. 
And yet when we look at the Old Testament, we see these spans of times of 400 years, of 40 years, of 120 years, and where's God? And after all the years of waiting, as they've wandered 40 years in the wilderness, probably going through Ohio, you know, man. You know, that that whole challenge of what's going to happen next. Now here they're hearing the rumors that they're really close. That, that it won't be long until we come into this place that we've been promised. In fact, we've watched a whole generation die in this 40 years. And here we are, their children and grandchildren, standing at the cusp of a new day. And this one who's been the leader, there's rumors that he may not go with us into this place. He's been like our father. He's been the one who's challenged us in this journey all the way along. He's the hero of our people. He's the rescuer who brought us out of Egypt. I mean, their most promising days are just ahead, and they might do this without the leader. So they've gathered for his farewell address, and that's really what Deuteronomy is. I know some of you are sitting here going, oh my goodness, if Rick is going to stand up and give his final words, and it's going to take 30-some chapters, I don't know if we're up for that. Yet here it is, his final words, as he's talking to them. And, and, And he goes through and he recounts their experiences and said, remember when this happened and the hard experiences we had, the joyful things that went on. He reminds them of the promises that they had made and the promises that God has made to them. And it probably felt like they'd heard it on and on and the kids are in the audience and they're going, how many times is this gonna go on? These are the last words of Moses. And he spends the whole book talking about those things, how important they are. You know, for some of us, as we get to the end of our life, some of us may hope that we get a last few words with our loved ones. We get a last few words as we bring, I have this picture in my head that my grandchildren and maybe my great-grandchildren are standing by the bed as I'm dying and I get a chance to say one last word and they go, Grandpa's a preacher, man. It's going to take a while. And that's kind of what happens to the people of Israel when Moses is in his last words here before he goes up on the mountain to die. You know, we can remember when we were young and how excited we were about to reach a destination. And many of us, uh, you know, it's interesting because our whole generation, we've always traveled by car or by bus or by airplane. And as kids, we even said to our own parents, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'm sure the Israelites have been saying that to Moses all the way along. Are we there yet for 40 years? Some of us, I mean, I have a hard time when my kids start in on that for four seconds. There's a reason that God put a split between the, the chairs in our cars so I can reach around and grab them, right? If you say it again, we're never going to get there. Yet here we are. What was about to happen was going to be life-changing. It was going to be amazing. And, and we remember, you know, I, I remember when I was playing basketball at Wabash College that our coach, and some people would say, that's just a party school, never said that. But every time that we would get ready for an away game and we'd arrive there, he'd remember, he'd say to us, remember who you are, what, who brought you here, and who you represent. Now, That's basically what Moses is saying to the people of Israel as they are coming into the Israelites uh, because they haven't been to Israel yet. It's interesting that we call them that, 
they're really Hebrews, began to pick up the change in his voice and in his words. But he has something important to say that, that he's leaning in a bit. I mean, they're ecstatic about their new, genera- their new destination, all the promises, but he's anxious about their newfound blessings and how that might affect their faith. To the point he's intent on addressing to them how they transfer their faith to their children and how they encourage generations that will come to follow God. There was too much at stake to fail. And so he goes right to the point. At the beginning of chapter six, we'll pick it up there the first few words, and here's what he writes and says. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that God, your God, the Lord your God, commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And then often, throughout history after this point in time, whenever these next words are read, people would stand. So let's stand and just hear these words. Moses says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So be it, God. Please be seated. You see, when they were at a crossroads, they had to hear these words, and they needed to choose. Well, many of us may not see Jesus that way, Our lives are often lived trying to measure up, to live up to the expectations that others have for us. But here, Moses gives them a different target. He says, first of all, he says, fear. He says says in verse two, fear, that you may fear the Lord your God. Now, now this word fear is not the same kind of thing that we have when we go to the haunted house at Halloween or when we're afraid of the noises in the night. This is really a word that means awe, A-W-E, awe, that, that whole idea of is God front and center in your life? And for us as Christians, is Jesus front and center for you every day of your life? That's part of what Moses is trying to say in this text to the people and that we're trying to say to people today. I mean, my question is, if Jesus went undercover in your life, what would that look like? I mean, suppose he's here right now, and that's what scripture says, right? What would it look like? What would it be if he was our undercover boss? You know that show on television where the boss goes undercover and people don't know him and they begin to tell him how to do the job, what the job means, and those kinds of things that are happening. Well, here's the deal. The boss is with us. He is here. Excuse me. (coughs) Thank you. He says, in essence, you will revere the Lord. You'll hold him in awe. And and as you hold him in awe, 
You're to obey him so you can experience all that he's promised. You see, when we hear those two words, fear and obey, we, we are a little nervous about those words. So how do we maintain our awe? How do we maintain that ability to obey God? It's our focus. Moses goes on and says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When he uses that word here, it's much like we might say to our kids, Listen, listen, I've got something important to say to you. Listen, listen, this is going to change your life. Listen, listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Because they had been in Egypt where there were multiple gods worshipped. They're going into a new land where there are multiple gods worshipped. And, and they're going to be swayed if they're not careful to follow a different path. And so he's saying here, he's not concerned that they're going to be atheists. He is concerned that they risk losing their focus and shifting their priorities. That's why we sang earlier, good God almighty, reminding us that God is good. Have you ever arrived at a place only to realize it's not what you expected? You know, you built up the hype, you got excited about it, you knew something great was about to happen, but when you arrived, it sure didn't look like it. Sure didn't look like this is gonna be a great experience or whatever. You, you, or, or you really thought life was fine and you've been keeping all the rules, but suddenly all you banked on disappeared. I mean, for some of us over these last couple of years, we've watched, whether it's through inflation or stock market downturn, we've seen things just kind of disappear. And, and you felt this sickening feeling in your stomach that it wasn't all that you'd hoped it would be. And, and where's God in the midst of that? What Moses is doing is saying, come back to these words. These words were important to the Hebrew nation over the years. It's called the Shema. And it establishes that God is the central character of a story that connects every generation, every family, every individual to God and to goodness of God. When we trace his infinite love through time and space, through countless genealogies, it gives us reason to pause in the middle of our chaos and to gain clarity. As a parent, I want to be quick to pick up a yardstick. Now, this is actually 48 inches long. Somebody picked out that my yardstick is 48 inches long. You can only get it in Crawfordsville, Indiana. That's part of the reason. 48 inches long. You pick up the yardstick and you start to measure out your life and you do the same thing with your kids. I mean, I, I want to focus on what's right. They go to the right schools. They have the right career. Oh, did they go to college? How about their spouse? The neighborhood where they live? The friends that they have? And, and, and we hold up the yardstick. And if we don't quite measure up, we, we really start to expend a lot of energy, don't we? To measure up to the yardstick to make sure that we're instilling the right values. I mean, those are important, yeah. But they're not the most important. The most important is that God is front and center in my life and that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That's the number one thing. And all the stuff on the yardstick doesn't amount to anything if he's not there. So here, they said the Shema twice a day. 
Jews still do that today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, our God, is one. And they go on and finish it. When you remind yourself frequently that God is God, it doesn't cause you to stress more. It causes you to trust more. So one of the things I want to encourage you to do is to take this passage of Scripture, this Deuteronomy chapter 6, and say those words two times a day for the next week. Would you do that? Write that down on your notes. I'm going to say this every day, two times. See what begins to happen in my attitude, in my heart. Moses realized through God's leading that it's important to recalibrate the heart and give it something to focus on. You know, here we are in the middle of, of uh, Valentine's Day and the things that are coming up. I love the sign that I saw the other day at, at uh, Walgreens. <laughs> it was, you are my one and only Valentine's five for $4. <laughs> Do you get the irony? You're my one and only, and I'm going to buy five of them? You can only have one. You're my one and only, guys. I mean, that's the reality of this. Valentine's Day, what a crazy idea, right? But that's what God says. You, you have a tendency to give out Valentines all over the place, but I am to be the one and only in your life. Trust me for that. Everything I've said, everything I will say hinges on one essential truth that trumps everything Moses is saying here. Our God is God. It doesn't matter what our kids know if they do not know what really matters. And that means we're involved in an ongoing fight. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That, that means oh, we love to get involved in those conversations and thanks for letting me play around with Indiana and Purdue or what are you still feeling about the football game last week or on and on and on. And Moses says, whoa, 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 get your focus back here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Moses reestablishes this cornerstone principle for their nation when he says, hear, O Israel, listen, listen, listen. And then he says something that grips their attention. It's the first time it's mentioned in Scripture. Go back through and read the first four books of the Bible. And you will not see these words, love the Lord, until this point. Oh, obey him, hold him in awe, worship, respect, fear him. But Moses explains here that there's a missing link in their relationship, and that is this, love the Lord. When we allow our faith to become a system of rules, we have no life. But the only thing that separates a living faith from a ritualistic orthodoxy is one word, one idea, one compelling force, love. Love the Lord. You see, it's not just that I hold him in awe. It's not just that I obey him, because I can get really tired of those things. But when I realize I love him, and he loves me, it changes all perspective. See, Moses is fighting for something here that's more important than lifestyle or patience. He's fighting for the heart. Here we realize in the Old Testament that it is a heart issue in the Old Testament. It is a heart issue in the kingdom time. It is a heart issue in the, the 
prophet time. It's a heart issue when Jesus comes. It's a heart issue when Jesus is here. It's a heart issue when Jesus goes to the cross. It is a heart issue every day of our lives. Is he front and center? He knew that faith in God is not a result of anything external. It's internal. It's the issue of the heart. And if you want to pass something on to the next generation, it has to be transferred relationally. Your kids and your grandkids and kids, you have to see this too, have to see that it is a part of my heart. It's not just a ritual. I come to church on Sunday because I want to be with the people. I want to be with God. I want to encourage others around me. It's not something I have to do. Now, I realize that in my teenage years, those were exactly the words that my parents had to use because there are times when you have to be close to the person in order for love to grow. Hassan is my Muslim friend. He holds a doctorate. He retired from GE a number of years ago. And Hassan was baptized into Jesus a while back. It was exciting to hear. And while we were talking about his deciding to follow Jesus and studying scripture, he looked at me and said, well, I mean, I asked him, why did you decide to follow Jesus? And he looked at me and he said this. He said, the love of Jesus and the love of his people for each other and for God compels me to follow Christ. There's nothing like that in Islam. We're not taught to love God, but to obey him. You see, folks, that's, that's how we pass the faith along, is that, that, that our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, our friends, see that we love God. It's not just simply that we obey him. We love him. Moses seems to be saying here, from now on, it's all different. With all that you've seen and heard, it's time to quit relating to God out of fear, but as someone you can love. You can trust your heart, soul, your mind, your strength to him. He keeps his promises. He's given you Canaan now, the place that we're going to go, not because you deserve it, not because you are who you are, that you're Hebrews, but because he's God. I mean, talk about an impression. From this point, you should transition from a people who simply obey him and obey the rules to a people who pursue a love relationship with their creator. Oh, and remember, the generation following you will, will watch your response to God. Moses is warning people about passing down rules without the context of a loving relationship. I need to develop a loving relationship with Jesus before I can pass it on to my kids. Once you settle the question of who God is, then you can follow him everywhere, even when it seems odd. That's the next word, follow. And in the midst of the follow, there's a challenge. And these words, Moses says, that I command you today shall be on your heart. Out of my heart comes obedience. Some things just stay in our memories. You know, I can remember the first time we took all of our kids to Disney World in Orlando, and that's been a long time ago. There was only two worlds in Disney World instead of all the worlds that are there now. We had saved and saved. They collected bottles and cans and turned them in uh, to get, get refunds on those. And uh, we talked about what a great time we're going to have. And as we flew into Orlando, the excitement there in the airplane sitting next to my four children and my wife was so thick you could almost cut it with a knife. 
And then as we stepped out of the terminal, though, you could read the disappointment on their faces because they thought that when we got out of the terminal, we would be at Disney World. I had to explain to them, we got to go get a car and we're going to drive over there. And you could see the skepticism on their faces. Dad, you're giving us a line. Well, we were at a crossroads. Are they going to believe the promises that their loving dad has given to them? Or are they going to believe their eyes and say, there is nothing around here that says this is Disney World. You could tell they were skeptical. They knew what they had been promised. This would call for great trust on their part to get in the car. And I said, it's probably going to be another hour before we get there. You could really see it happen then, right? Imagine now, you're, you're an Israelite. It's 40 years you've been wandering and been told you're going to get to Disney World. Well, sure enough, without that loving and trusting relationship, I'm sure the deal would have quickly crumbled. And for those of you who are parents, you know how the story ends. We ended up at Disney World, had great fun. We were exhausted at night, have a lifetime of memories. Uh, My kids still talk about those days. It's a challenge that has to be in my heart before it can be passed on, before it can be in them. If his imprint is on my heart, then I will make relational, emotional, and spiritual growth a priority. If I don't make it personal, it will never be personal for my kids or for you. God's writing this story of redemption and restoration on my heart. Will I be an open book to others so they can read what God's up to? That's really what God is saying to us today is I've written my story on your heart. Now open your life so that people can read my story in your life and it becomes their story as well. That's character. That's character. That's the mark in our lives. The challenge imprints my character. And imprinting means I look and act like God wants me to. Putting these truths on our hearts is about desire and passion. You know, sometimes as people, we have a hard time talking about desire and passion. We just kind of want to walk through life and let it happen. But there's passion, there's excitement, there's a moment. People need to see that this is not a show, that it's not a fake it till you make it kind of moment. It's real life adventure that they can see courage and passion and overcome personal obstacles through it all. It's an all-in moment for us. What's it look like to pursue a better relationship with God? It means struggling for answers. It it means facing weaknesses. It means dealing with real problems. It means admitting that you're wrong. It means fighting for your marriage and your family. It means resolving personal conflicts. In other words, people need to see and hear how you're moving forward. And we sang about that earlier too. That's why we have small groups and Sunday school classes. That's why we meet in men's breakfasts and and women's studies and and, and why we gather around a bowl of chili next week to talk about different things that are happening in our lives. His mark. What does it look like in your life? The call to follow Jesus is a call to transformation. He does not leave us as he finds us. And what a great news. I mean, he, he leaves no area of our lives untouched. Family relationships, friendships, our perspective on life, work, leadership, and in the world, they're all fair game for him. He doesn't come to to justify our current lives. No, he comes to call us to real life. And are you ready to trade your life for real life with him? 
Are you ready to follow him? Because his mark is about ownership. Just as you might mark a prized possession with your name, now you're marked by God. You see, leaving my mark, leaving our mark, leaving a mark on life is not what I'm giving my life for. Living to make my mark is too small a thing to give my life to. It is about his mark in my life. That's the thing that I give my life to. That's the thing that life is worth living for. Here's what I know about you sometimes. This is what you have to settle every day. God, it's not about, it's not about you being part of my story. It's about me being a part of your story, immersed in your story. I, I want to make your mark through me. God, I'm not going to live my life afraid. I'm not concerned with who is for or against me. I'll live my life totally committed to you. I'm all in. Here's one of the things I ask you to do today. Take the, if you took the announcement page today, just write on the top of that, sometime today, I'm all in and date it. Put the date. Today is a day that I'm all in. Because if you settle that, if I settle this, just settle this once for all. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this is the day. This is the day to put your life in his hands, to be baptized into him, and to change everything about your future. When we settle that, he comes in and he's a part of us every season of every day of your life. So let's listen to our heart for a moment. Listen to the things that we tell our heart. You know, we receive over 3,000 commercial messages every day. 30 seconds on the Super Bowl next week is going to cost as much as six or seven million dollars. What are those messages for and why do they convey? They try to get you to wrap your hearts around something other than God. Now, it's interesting. I'll talk about this in a couple of minutes, but there's supposed to be two commercials that are going to challenge you to think about God. But these commercials try to wrap us around everything else. That's why we need this reminder of Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 6. Because when it comes to the battle of the heart, what is temporary has a way of crowding out what is eternal. You see, we'll talk this week, many people will talk this week about the Super Bowl, but it's really about super relationships. Are you in a relationship with God? Are you in a relationship with others that builds your life? Everything's really about God. If we don't start with God, we end up in the wrong place. And so I want to encourage you to think through what it is that you need to do. We're not pursuing cool. We're pursuing Christ. He's the door to open places. That's what we sang a few minutes ago. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I love when our mission teams come back from different churches because when they've been on a journey, we had a team many years ago, a White Oak Christian Church that headed for Haiti. One of the fellows on that trip was an elder in our church and he felt strongly they should be on that trip, but all along he wasn't sure what he was supposed to do while he was there. When the team arrived in Haiti, they found a second team ministering among the Haitians. That team was a medical team. They were doing some amazing work, but they were incomplete. They lacked a pediatrician. Guess what Gary was? 
a pediatrician. He came from White Oak, joined that second team, not knowing that second team would be there because he said, God, I'm all in. I, I don't know why I'm going. You've told me to go, but I'm all in. Today, will you let God make his imprint on your life? I'm telling you, there'll be no more satisfying ride that you'll ever take than this ride with God. Will you be all in? This week, we're going to, I'm going to give you two tools to use. The first one is this. It's a conversation starter. Every day at dinner in the evening or maybe lunch, look at those who are gathered at your table and ask this question. Where did you see God? Where did you see Jesus today? So now I'm giving you another. I already said, read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6 twice a day. Now I'm giving you another challenge. Every day at either lunch or dinner, look at those who are seated there with you and say, where did you see God? Where did you see Jesus today? Use that with your family. The second thing has to do with this huge event that's coming up this next week that people talk about. You may or may not be caring much about it, but it's just very simply the Super Bowl. And the second is, go to this address. I want you to be aware of this special opportunity for the Super Bowl parties that are coming around. Because there's a movement called He Gets Us that's going to have two commercials that are designed to start a conversation. In fact, if you want to find out more about it right now, you can text Super Bowl to 70193. I've already done that. I've got their materials. I've got things to have conversations around. And the idea is this big game that takes place in our country will distract us from the one wants to change our lives. Will you let God change your life today? Will you listen to him here, O Israel? Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, I hear you call me to follow you. I don't know all the places you're going to take me. I don't even know why at times. But I am believing that you are a trustworthy God. And I want to follow you today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at Thanks for the listen and have a great day.